Hey, this is MIA. You're listening to Color Code in Canada. <laughs> is that what it's called? It's called Color Code, a podcast about race in Canada. Okay. Hey, this is MIA. You're listening to a podcast about race in Canada, Color Code. <laughs> Here's the podcast. Hello and welcome to Color Code. I'm Denise Balkasun. And I'm Hannah Sung. Today's episode of Color Code is an in-depth interview with British Sri Lankan musician M.I.A. She can be funny and fearless, but above all, she is always controversial. For the uninitiated, have a quick listen. This is a song called Freedom from her new album, AIM. Bass, 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 bass. I'm a swagger man, rolling in my swagger van. From the People's Republic of Swagistan. Today's conversation with MIA is wide-ranging because, well, talking to her about her own life means discussing identities, refugees, and, as we're calling this episode, pop, power, and privilege. So, are you a fan? I am a fan, yeah. I mean, I don't love every song or video she's ever done. In fact, there are songs and videos that I really don't like. But um, on the other hand, there's some stuff that she's done that I feel like is on my personal best of list for the ages. You know, I quite like her. What about you, Denise? I am an MIA fan. When she first came on the scene, you know, as a brown woman, I had never seen another brown woman in such a huge global pop culture position. Uh, and that was really exciting for me. But, you know, last week we were talking about being the most visible minority, so mm -hmm. a person of color in a prominent position. And I would say that I do hold her to that high regard. And so while I admire her, I like a lot of her music, I also sometimes see or hear the political stances she's taking. And I'm like, oh, you really put your foot in your mouth that time, which I appreciate is difficult. And I appreciate that she's got the courage to go there. Yeah, she definitely is not afraid to speak her mind. And in fact, on the topic of being the most visible minority, you know, she says she's gotten some blowback from the Tamil community at times for not going out there and doing the immigrant success thing, you know, the way immigrant parents would be like, be a doctor, be a lawyer, be the biggest pop star, you know, and she felt like she didn't do all the things the way a, an obedient pop star might. So it is a complicated existence to be the only one on a platform of that level. So there are a lot of Tamils in Canada. Is that why you wanted to talk to her? I think that you and I, Denise, are definitely aware of the Tamil community here because you and I both happen to grow up in Scarborough, which is where a large Tamil expat community is based. But no, I just I just find MIA is like this lone voice out there. And she, as you say, sometimes makes missteps and it's all very public and messy. And I find that fascinating because I think often for celebrities, the public doesn't want them to change and grow. 
Instead, what we want is a very binary narrative where people rise and then they fall and that's it. And MIA represents to me something a lot more interesting than that. So in case you're not familiar with her work, here's a super quick bio. MIA was born in London, England in 1975 and taken back to Sri Lanka as an infant. MIA's family is Tamil, an ethnic minority in Sri Lanka, and her father was a political activist affiliated with the Tamil Tigers. This rebel group led the fight for independence from Sri Lanka and were eventually deemed a terror organization by Canada and the UN. The Sri Lanka Civil War was the backdrop for MIA's youth until she was 10, when her mother took her back to the UK and dad stayed out of the picture. MIA grew up, went to art school, and became a musician. And when she dropped her first album in 2005, the press went bananas. They were fascinated by her underground sound, her look, and of course, her life story and politics. By 2008, her hit single, Paper Planes, went three times platinum. The next year, she performed at the Grammys with Jay-Z and Kanye West. In 2014, she performed at the Super Bowl with Madonna, flipping the middle finger to the camera and getting sued by the NFL in the process. She speaks for refugees and the politically disenfranchised, and she's weathered over a decade in the spotlight. And so, the day after her brand new album release, I met up with her in Toronto. So the Tamil Canadian Chamber of Commerce approaches you to be at their event, and, and I mean the timing is interesting because you're very busy, but you made the time to come here for one day to do that. Why? It's interesting. It is happening today for me, and it sort of suits uh, the nature of what the things that I dealt with on this album in terms of like today I have to kind of get on stage and address the Tamils but then I'm not just talking to the youth or my generation or you know my kids generation but also my mum's generation you know it's the first time I've ever been in front of the Tamil community ever in my entire career yeah are you serious yeah because when I did a show in India it's in Kerala and it's not really for the Tamils Apart from the kids that have come to the shows that I've played in Toronto or other various like locations that has Tamil community presence, this is the first time where they're actually all in one room. I'm very surprised that you know a Tamil organization somewhere um, in the world hasn't had you speak, you know, and address them ever before. I, why is that? Um, because of the disconnect with this culture and that culture, you know, it's it's a very disconnected community, you know. The Tamil diaspora. Yeah, I think this community here, that's the sort of media community, they find it very difficult to connect the dots. Maybe this is where the work begins, you know, to connect them all up and bring them bring them to light, really, yeah. Mm -hmm. Because as someone outside the Tamil community, you seem like the world's most famous Tamil person. <laughs> Are you? Well, I am, yeah. which is why I have to address four generations. <laughs> you know, I got picked up at the airport by two, there was two seven-year-olds amongst like the people that picked me up. Okay, was it a family that was coming? Yeah, it was, a, it was a whole, you know, the family of the uh, 
president, the executive, I guess. And they're like, you know, my granny loves you. And she's like 90 years old, you know, like. So that was really interesting to actually visually see, like it did span across like four generations and you have to address all of them. And they've never had someone before from like the creative industry in the West. And obviously I stayed out of it for a while because uh, it was actually too emotional for me to like be quite a visible spokesperson. You know, the last few years I tried to do it through my art, but then to actually communicate with everyone, I, I just felt like I had to go and deal with stuff myself, you know, to not be so emotional. Yeah. So you say that this is the first time you're really addressing like a Tamil community face to face like this. Yeah, I think I've had enough time to to deal with my stuff. So, and so I guess when you're talking about the emotional aspect, it's different for you when you write a song or speak to the Western press or you know versus being in a room. There's a different emotional tenor there for you. You know, you have to kind of like split your brain into sort of becoming a role model in a sense that you live for example to be like look whatever situation you're going through is temporary and you can define your future but obviously I don't do that really that well for a Tamil you know that what do you, you could have if if aspiration and ambition and opportunity is to show that you're the biggest you know like pop star or whatever, I wasn't because I, I was kind of confrontational all the way to this point. And because I came from a real life like experience of being a refugee and coming to a different country, relating to experiences of oppression that happens to other people or injustices that happens to other communities, it was important for me to voice that in my work, you know. And I think because of that, my opportunities did get curbed so, you know, it's kind of too difficult to explain to the Tamils why I wasn't just doing that, you know, because a lot of people would be like, God, why don't you just shut up and just do it, you know. Hmm. But to me, talking about them was really important, you know, and even the Tamils at some points would be like, just don't, <laughs> you know. That's so funny and complicated. Yeah. The idea that, I mean, if I get what you're saying, you're saying that, say, Tamil elders might be like, go get you? your money, yeah. go tick all the boxes so you become, like, the biggest success you can yeah, be. Yeah, like, it's me holding a champagne glass in a swimming pool, you know, like, here's success, you know. <laughs> but that's not what I showed or did. And so when you're out in the world and you're saying controversial things that are political and you talk about the Tamil struggle, is your mom always backing you up? Or is she one of those voices who's questioning you, like, what are you doing? Well, obviously, you know, my mom doesn't want the trouble because she had it for my dad because we were an unusual Tamil family. We weren't like the normal Tamil family because my dad was a key political figure. So... By the time she came to England, she was like, I'm running away from that, you know. And then 10 years later, I was like, hey, <laughs> it's back. <laughs> yeah, so she, was, she wasn't really happy. And now? 
And now I think it's grown so big because the Tamil thing turned into like, you know, other things and then me talking about Iraq war and George Bush and it just grew into its own thing, you know, so she can't really, she can't really edit any of them. <laughs> it's just like, it's snowboard into a proportion that's like uneditable, you know. <laughs> so the second generation community, I'm a bit of an anomaly because the general experience is you're supposed to kind of come and make it as an immigrant and forget the troubles. But I've dragged the troubles with me. Mm-hmm. And people, for the first half, they were like, we don't want to be reminded, we just want to become doctors and stop talking about it. And, you know, my thing is, no, it's important to, you know, it's important for everybody to not be embarrassed. Like, we can't be embarrassed there's a war. And we can't be embarrassed that, you know, we're being made into refugees and we can't be embarrassed of like our cultural heritage or you know or where we're going to go and all of these things kind of need a dialogue you know what does it feel like to be the world's most famous tamil person uh it's not a lot in the category (laughs) (laughs) i feel like it's complicated because i'm not sure what it means yet like i'm still working it out you know my dad went off and he was trying to have like an intellectual and an international approach and draw up a, a different way to uh, sort of deal with the government. And, um, you know, and his kid became a pop star and I chose like fame to talk about it. But what we did for Tamils is kind of, yeah, is really difficult to tell, you know, what that is. Like, I don't know how what I do for the generations after me is going to manifest if in the mainstream we're constantly closing doors to having like diverse voices in the media or in music or in the arts. Do you feel that's happening? That doors are closing to diversity? Well, I just feel like, I don't know, I'm really confused actually. It's a contradiction situation where on the one hand we're like oh no everybody has a voice you know this is democracy like every little person can make a hashtag but then only certain ones get supported and I think that's what's really complicated it's like on the one hand we're like okay we're gonna have wars to liberate women in Afghanistan but if the Afghani girl gets to Twitter and starts talking about herself she has to do it in a way that Americans see fit and how the f- is she gonna know you know how is she gonna she has to study twitter in the middle of a war zone while getting bombed with a shitty internet then she has to talk in the way that you understand with the hashtag you've created in order for her to be acceptable and it's like not cool and i think um just using my own life experience and what happened to me as an outspoken Tamil political voice in music, using what happened to me, which is quite visible, like you can't really erase what happened to me, it's there on Wikipedia, you know, those battles are there. Um, I can say 
actually is difficult. I ride through the sea like a pirate, just to float with the water. Can't carry feelings, like basket, can't carry water. I ain't gonna tell ya that I live straight for the paper. Men are good, men are bad, and know what is never over. Survivor, who said it was easy? Survivor, they can never stop me. What does it mean to you to be a survivor of the music and fame game at this point? Um, I'm not sure if I survived the music and the fame game. I'm not really sure, but I never really played the game, you know. But you, you know, people do see. I, I, I definitely walked the line. Inside, you did do the Super Bowl, and you did, I do, did the do that. Yes, I think sometimes fame was needed to like say something. But fame for fame's sake, I don't really access that much. You know, what I realized, you know, in, in at this moment in time in my life is actually fame doesn't cure this, this, and this. The thing that I tried to do over the last like 13, 14 years, you can see like in 2016, if a whole bunch of artists got together and did that, all across the media and all across platforms, all across you know, award shows or whatever the thing is, if everybody said Black Lives Matter together because they all share that experience together, and you directly attack the source of the problem, which is police brutality, then you can address it and you can change it. But it sort of created some sort of language where everyone's like, well, they can talk about that, you know. So then this person here has to talk about their thing. So do you mean swimming out of your lane in Afropunk? Yeah, kind of like that. Okay, so we need to cut in here to explain what that means, being in her lane and Afropunk. Was it last year or earlier this year in the Evening Standard? Yeah, it was this spring. So let me just read what MIA said. She said, It's interesting that in America, the thing you're allowed to talk about is Black Lives Matter. It's not a new thing to me. Is Beyonce or Kendrick Lamar going to say Muslim Lives Matter or Syrian Lives Matter or this kid in Pakistan matters? That's a more interesting question. So that pinged around social media quite a bit. And then she eventually got dropped from the Afropunk Festival. Exactly. So Afropunk is a festival that's about, quote, good vibes and no racism. And it dropped her as headliner and will go on without her this weekend in London. Now, a couple months later, like, where, where do you sit with that controversy? Like, what does that feel like? What are the thoughts you've had? It's really confusing. You know, Rihanna tweeted Free Palestine and she had to delete it in one hour. And I watched it. You know. But would you tweet something and delete it? I mean, what makes Rihanna have to delete it? Because of the context, you know, of the industry and where the industry is. Like, if the industry is in Papua New Guinea, we would have to do different things. If the industry was in Sri Lanka, I wouldn't have even actually happened because I'm a Tamil, you know. It's in America, and right now they can pick and choose how we talk about things, you know. I think that's why she deleted that tweet, you know. Also, that's the same voice that's coming through, which is like, you can only talk about the thing you are, you know, the next step. 
is for like people in the West to understand and publicly digest the fact how they deal with these kind of like offshore problems. It's actually more connected than we think. It's interesting because you, you've said the phrase connect the dots and you're talking about an interconnectedness. Yeah, I think that's the future. Mm -hmm. But do you think that people are ready to hear that? No, they're not, obviously. That's what 2016 has been for me, is, yeah. is saying, no, there are no dots. You know, it's lanes. There's no dots. And I'm like, but I'm the dots person, <laughs> you know? Like, I'm not the lanes person, I'm the dots person, because lanes are difficult. Because if you're talking about lanes, you've got to talk about who made the lanes, which country the lane is in, which direction it's going, you know, has it got traffic lights or not? You know what I mean? It's like, it's literally like more complicated than that to me because, for example, like I'm the only Tamil artist. How can I rally all the other Tamil artists together to go on my Tamil Oscars to be like, hey, you know, like where, when, when would I even start that? And already because I came across the reason why I don't have that financial power to do that or the platform power to do that is because I criticised the government in the first place. Because I said, hey, New York Times, please don't say it's cool to go on vacation in Sri Lanka is the top destination for a holiday a month after people got bombed on that beach. Like, 2009 that happened when I was at the Oscars and I said people have been pushed into the strip of beach and they're bombing them. The next month New York Times just ignored it and said, oh my God, number one destination in the world, you know. And I had the spat on Twitter. Then they sent Lynn Hirschberg after me. Okay, who is Lynn Hirschberg? In 2010, MIA was the subject of a pretty lengthy profile by Lynn Hirschberg for the New York Times magazine. It was not entirely flattering. Well, it made it sound like she was a champagne socialist at best. And so the part that I remember as being very touchy was that Lynn Hirschberg said that MIA ordered truffle fries, which was her way of painting MIA is not the scrappy punk that she says she is. That's where that went. You know, that didn't go with oh my God, what a great moment. A Tamil icon is spoke for Tamils. Let's listen. No, they like totally came after me. I left the US, you know, the press turned against me. Um, people didn't want to work with me. Everybody said, oh, if only she would shut up about politics, she could have made it. And the thing is, there was no option because that's what was happening and that was what was happening to Tamils at the time, that you couldn't remove it out of my work, you know. And the consequences was, okay, can you leave? You're the other, you know, because we brand all of these people together in one lump of terrorists. So it's kind of, uh, here I am now. How do you feel now? So I think, yeah, for me to say politically, the lanes thing is really confusing to me. It's like I've tried that you know, it doesn't really work. We have spent time talking about, like, the systemic difficulties of being you and being a complicated person where a lot of dots converge. And I'm curious about when you're actually making your work, is it easy to get people to sign on and, and do something as ambitious as, like, say, the Borders video? Freedom, I'd meet him, where's your freedom? 
first let's just describe what it looks like. It is a reaction to the real life situation and news images, I would argue, of the refugee migrant crisis and overcrowded boats. And that's what she's recreated in this video with thousands of extras, and they're all dark skinned men. On, crammed onto these boats, and she's built a fence as well. And so she and these other men have climbed this fence. And this video is truly stunning, hyper-stylized. And when I looked at it, after I got over, you know, the power of the imagery, I thought, how did she get this made? It looked so complicated to do. And so that's what I had to ask her. Can you convey that idea to people and get a whole bunch of people to rally around you and be like, yeah, we're going to do this? Or is it difficult as you seem to be describing, you know, a lot of the complicatedness of your life? Well, I went to India just with me and one other person because if I took 10 people, it, w it never would have got made because it was too complicated. Mm -hmm. But at the time, I was just like, I have to make this thing right now. And then we built the team there. And because no one knew me there, it was easy because they didn't know my like weird, complicated name. Nobody had any idea who you I were. Know, one person who I had like, you know, organized team, but most of the time I met people and they, yeah, they would Wikipedia me and then learn who I was. You know, you've said that this is your last album. I'm curious, you know, you obviously have a lot of things that you want to get said. So is music not doing it for you? Are there limitations that you're coming up against in the music world? Because if you can get a video like Borders made, <laughs> you know, it seems like, wow, she could do anything. Well, I just feel like, you know, now I have a kid and um, like I want to make music, but then I don't want to deal with having to be the art. You know, with Borders it worked because it was like, oh, can you now have an opinion on immigration and refugees now that you're a pop star? You know, like, is that right only given to a journalist? You know, or somebody from the West reporting on what it's like fed back to the West? Or are you allowed to come from there, learn the language, then go up and get to the fence? And are you in front of the fence, on the fence, behind the fence, like, who are you, you know? Those are real problems I was having. It's like, now that you're a musician and you're a pop star, you can't talk about poverty, you can't talk about, you know, refugees, or you didn't live in a tent, so how come you're talking about it, you know? Somebody said to me, oh, did you get a boat over? Because you can't talk about people coming on boats. Who was this person? I'm just curious. There's just some like of the comments, you know, yeah, it's like, Twitter trolling, and it's like... I can't believe you, you know. let that bother you still. Well, I think these are, these are comments that are actually out there. You know, I would like to edit out all kinds of ignorance in the world, but actually that exists, and that person is then going and saying that, you know, and which then sort of brings up the idea of privilege. This is, this is exactly what the song is. You know, it's like one thing stacked on top of the other. It's like... 
how do you talk about boat people? And then it's like, well, how do we answer that? You know, and from where are we going to answer it? I could be a Tamil, but I, I, know, I can kind of guess what a Syrian kid is going through. And, it, you know, I, if you suffer from oppression or if you've been bombed or shot at, you know if that kid in Congo is going through that, you can relate on just a basic human level, you know. And so and there's a lack of compassion that's permissible? Well, I think that compassion exists, but we're being told to dull it down and apply logic to it, you know, and sort of like put it into neat packages because it makes it easy for social media to digest it. And I'm like, no, that's not what we should do because social media can be manipulated, you know, and I don't trust it. Five years ago in 2010, I made a record called Maya, which was all about the internet. Fast forward, we're like, hey, it's really natural to be divisive and let's just like divide all these communities. Well, how are you going to dismantle that message for your own kid, do you think? Or how do you do it? Well, my kid, luckily, is actually like makes up of so many things, you know. He's a Tamil and he's white and black and he's going to have that problem of what is he? Mm -hmm. You know, where does he start? And also not only DNA wise is he mixed and weird, he's philosophically or politically or financially like all of these extremes. You know, he's like, he's already uh, the embodiment of those dots coming together. Yeah, you know? next generation dots. Yeah. What does motherhood look like for MIA when you're like doing press and you've got an album, but you've got a very real child in that life too? Yeah, I mean, I haven't toured for two years, so he's had a massive like chunk of time with me, <laughs> you know, it's like, yeah, it's weird though, because my kid can Google it or whatever, you know. Once I went to a computer shop and he put MI out on every single computer in like Curry's or Dixon's. I don't know what the equivalent is in Canada. And I turned around, you know, I was talking to someone about buying something and then I turned around <laughs> and it was like every computer had my face on it and it was just like the worst moment of my life. Why was it the worst? He's like, your little built-in publicity Yeah, team. he was just he like, just went and did that. And then I was just like, oh my God. God, just, I had to run out of the shop, you know. <laughs> so, yeah, it's weird when they sort of cross over in those moments. But um, he uh, gets a very normal, boring me, though, you know, yeah. Hard to believe there's a normal and boring you, but I'll take yeah, your word true. for it. <laughs> <laughs> Was interviewing MIA everything you had hoped for? <laughs> sure. Um, I definitely enjoyed talking to her, especially because so many of the things that we discussed are these underlying themes in many of the different episodes that we're doing for the podcast. You know, there are these recurring themes that keep coming up as we talk about race, the idea of what it's like to be so visible and to have like the responsibility of speaking for other people of your community. She is like the only Tamil person of that kind of profile, you know, and I mean, imagine the weight of that responsibility 
And then also, I mean, maybe it's lonely, which we also have an episode coming up in a couple of weeks, and it is about being the only racialized person in a community. And so, I mean, Emma is not the only racialized person in music, but she's definitely the only Tamil. And like I said, I don't see a lot of brown people in global pop culture. I mean, there's Bollywood, but that's like its own sort of stream where she's very crossing different lanes, as she says. Mm -hmm. And I mean, what's really kind of thrilling about American pop music is that there is such a rags to riches story that happens over and over for many people. But someone who actually has the experience of being a refugee and actually has the experience of, you know, growing up during a conflict, you know, growing up in a place that's experiencing war. I can't really think of many other people who can speak to that in pop music. I mean, really the only other person I can think of is Kanan. Mm-hmm. But you, Denise, haven't shared what you think about the whole Beyonce and Muslim Lives Matter comment by MIA and then being dropped from Afropunk, of course. So what are your thoughts? I think it's pretty complicated. Like when MIA was asked by the Evening Standard what she thought of Black Lives Matter, I wish that she had found a way to say that she has an international focus without disparaging Black Lives Matter Mm -hmm. or without disparaging African-Americans who feel that it is important to them. Yeah. I mean, who knows how she was edited because (laughs) that particular Evening Standard story had a very sexist headline and in general was not there to be friendly to MIA, I think. But, I, you know, MIA as a spokesperson is problematic because she's very human, right? And she says things that are like not easily digested by the masses. And I agree that there's no reason why you'd have to disparage Black Lives Matter. I just don't know that that's actually what she's doing. If I understand what MIA was saying to me that day, there is kind of this percolating distaste with identity politics going too far. And I think what MIA is saying is that why can't we all talk about everything? Mm -hmm. Why do some hashtags have like hegemonic kind of value in, say, the U.S., you know? I mean, I sat down with MIA for a long time and it was just the two of us in a room. And there were still times when I wasn't sure that I was following her because she's on like many different planes at once. And social media is not cut out for that. In the social media world where everything has to be 140 characters, it does kind of start to sound like, well, why does MIA have beef with Beyonce or Kendrick Lamar, you know, when it's not about that? But is there room on social media to talk about something that is more... But this is a quote from an interview. It's not something that she tweeted. Yes, but the controversy Mm -hmm. took place outside of the Evening Standard story, right? I think if there's a theme that people should be sensing is that MIA is very complicated as a person and as an artist. And so the reaction to her is often very complicated and divided. She takes so much criticism, but she also has a very fervent fan base who kind of cling to, you know, what it is that she represents. So I was really glad that we could take the time to sit down with her because it was like this uh, connecting the dots of all the different episodes even that we're working on and all the different themes that we're working on for Color Code too. So thank you to MIA for taking the time to meet with us. And thank you everyone for listening. This episode was produced by us, Denise Balkasoon and Hannah Sung. Technical producers Timothy Moore and supervising producers Kevin Sue. 
If you enjoyed this episode of Color Code, rate and review it on iTunes, share it with a friend, and tell us what you think in a voice memo. On your phone, use the Voice Memo app to record your thoughts. Do you agree or disagree with MIA? We went through a lot of topics like diaspora, pop, power, and privilege. Record your thoughts and email us that voice memo to colorcode at globeandmail.com. Thank you to Mavis Harris at Universal Canada. And our theme music is by Bonjay. You can find them at bonjay.net. And you can find us on Twitter. I'm at Balkasoon. And I'm at Hannah Sung. Next week's episode is all about how Canadians see ourselves and our own approach to race as compared to the USA, and we're calling it the Angel Complex. Thanks so much for listening to Color Code. <laughs>